appreciate the wonderful and amazing Tim Roberts sharing his journey. Thanks, Joe. I'm just going to put him here, just so he's involved. All will be revealed. Will you do me a favour before I start? Will you help Adam Carr, a keeper promise? Adam made me another promise last night. And he promised me that at some point during today, we'd get a woo from the audience. So come on, can we get a woo? Thanks, mate. <laughs> okay. So the purpose of my talk is to make you think. To make you think about how you can make coaching and feedback part of everyday life. Here is a slide with some bullet points on it. <laughs> the approach I want to take to my talk is to, I guess, embrace this element of a culture because what makes a culture successful is how people experience it. Any of the experiences that people have in that culture, how they learn from it, how that makes them to continue to be successful. So I want to share with you some of my own experiences and relate that to how I felt a coaching culture, or lack of, and challenge your way of thinking in terms of how are we doing things in our organisation, can we start to do things differently? Before we do that, I want a bit of uh, arm-raising audience participation, please. So, raise your hand if already today you've posted something on social media. No matter what platform, anything, anything on social media. Okay, pretty much everybody. Now, I would like to raise your hands again if you have already or will do today log back in to said social media and look for how many likes have I got? How many reactions have I had? Who shared it? Who's commented? You can admit it, it's all right. <laughs> so again, a lot of us. I wanted to raise that because that's a demonstration of feedback. We already live in a world of feedback. And we've heard this a couple of times, either within the talks, within the panel, and within the discussions that you've had yourselves, that there's this still myth and this potential barrier where people think people don't want feedback. We heard somebody use an example before, people don't want feedback because it might get them fired. And that's often what stops leaders creating that feedback culture. And it's also what can sometimes put a coaching culture out of the reach of organisations because we allow those barriers to continue to exist. The reality is to create the feedback culture, you're just bringing the real world into your world of work. So speaking of feedback, I want to share with you the best and worst feedback that I've ever received. I'm just gonna give you a minute to take that in. Good, that, isn't it? This is the worst feedback I've ever received. Not because everything else had even more superlatives in it. Because of the culture within which this was delivered. So this was part of, if you like, quite a traditional approach to feedback. You have two performance reviews a year. And in those performance reviews, the manager, which was my role at the time, should ask for feedback. Because, of course, that's how we create a two-way feedback culture, isn't it? Twice a year, you ask somebody for feedback. Of course it is. So I told the line, and I did it. And God bless the person who gave me this feedback. It probably helped that their performance review went quite well. And as soon as I asked them for that feedback, you could instantly tell that they felt uncomfortable. You could instantly tell that 
oh my God, he's asking me for feedback to my face. This isn't right. He's my boss. He should give me feedback. So what did they do? They did what most of us would do in that situation. They told me how wonderful I was and then got the hell out of Dodge. I know it's hard to believe that somebody said that about me, but it happened. <laughs> this is the best feedback I have ever received. Without that feedback, I would not be stood here speaking at a coaching conference. The reason that this is the best feedback I've ever had is because of the culture within which this was delivered. So the leader, my manager at the time who gave me this feedback, had a culture where it was in the moment. We didn't wait for structured formal once a year appraisals she would give us feedback in the moment this was just in a conversation where i was presenting my ideas whilst that feedback is quite <laughs> damning shall we say <laughs> this was done from a point of view of tim if you want to achieve what you want to achieve you need to change your approach you need to explore how you can change your behavior and that's one of the key things that we need to remember with feedback. It's about prompting a positive change. So I was able to accept that feedback, ask questions, reply to which I was asked coaching questions, and I was able to create a solution where I stopped being boring. And the reason, again, why that's the best feedback for me is because it helped me to focus on what it was that I wanted to achieve and the changes that I needed to make. So why then do we have some barriers to, to feedback and why is it quite hard for us to really create that culture of feedback? To explore that, I want to introduce you to three people or three types of people who I will confidently say work in your organisation. I've got a few of these, yeah, yeah. Have an opinion on absolutely everything. They don't want to take any responsibility though. And they certainly don't want to do anything about the things that they spend so much bloody time moaning about. Then we have our rock and roll stars. The people who make us get out of bed in the morning. The ones that we embrace. The ones who learn, the ones who develop, they progress. They demonstrate the right behaviours. The biggest challenge with your rock and roll stars is finding the right role where they can continue to progress in our organisations. And then finally we have Connie Consistency. Quite a populous type of person in most organisations. Can sometimes be criticised or ridiculed as being plodders. So these are the kind of people who turn up, do their job, go home, come back, do it again the next day and do it consistently well, shall we say. The million dollar question for me with each of these people is, are they coachable? So we're at a coaching conference. So we know that you can have the best coach in the world. If the person being coached just doesn't want to be coached, it's not going to work. So often where this plays out for us is we engage in some coaching skills development we often call it the manager as a coach. Please stop it, please stop doing that. And what happens is said manager comes back into the workplace with his lovely group of people and they start coaching them. They do the right things, they tell them what they're about coaching, they structure the conversations, they ask coaching questions, they listen, they work towards setting goals. 
And then they come back to us in L&D with a tail between the legs going, I, I don't understand, I did everything that you trained me in, but they don't want to set any goals and they don't even want to answer any questions. What's going on? <laughs> in order to create the successful culture, we must enable the people within that culture to create it for themselves. Engage in the coaching skills to create the culture where feedback is well received. The way that we can achieve that is by asking the people in our organization, how do you want feedback? What do you want feedback on? What specifically can I give you feedback on that will help you to develop in six months, 12 months, and beyond? We achieve people's buy-in by having that conversation, and when that feedback starts to get delivered, it is relevant because it's what they've asked for feedback upon. It avoids that awkward feedback session against the competency framework that Connie consistency thinks, this has got nothing to do with me because I just turn up and do my job. Why are you managing my performance? Having that conversation with your rock and roll stars avoids them being stifled because it's meaningful to them. It's about them. It's about their choices. So the resounding answer to that question for me is yes. All of those people are coachable. By taking that approach, you're having coaching conversations before that's what they even know is taking place. You're getting them to think. You can't change a business, you change mindset. Feedback is truly powerful when it's always delivered from a point of view of answering three questions for the person that's receiving that feedback. How am I doing? Where am I going? And why am I going? By having those conversations up front, they make the decisions on the feedback that we give them, how that enables them to go on the journey that they want. In other words, it enables them to go on the journey to realize their potential. Let's just take a moment. Let's just have a moment to do some self-reflection. So as we know, coaching is the most effective way to engage people in self-reflection. I want to introduce you to something that you and everybody else in your organization has to truly enable self-reflection. The way I'm going to introduce you to that is I want you to just listen. Just really, really listen. Keep listening and you'll hear it. You can probably hear it now. What you can hear is the voice inside your head. We all have one. We all talk to ourselves. The voice in your head right now might be going, what is he doing? <laughs> Where's he going with this? Why is he telling everybody else in the room that I've got a voice inside my head? Is the voice inside my head saying the same things as the voice inside everybody else's head? Put more eloquently, what I'm introducing you to is your emotional intelligence. So your emotional intelligence is the gateway to the most powerful tool that all of you have 
at your disposal. That's your subconscious mind. Self-reflection is not a process. You don't need a flowchart for self-reflection. Now look, I get it, I've been there. Here's a learning action plan. Here's a stop, start, continue. Follow that process and reflect on it and you will change. Of course, for most people in the organization, they do that and think, I've got a million other processes to follow. I've done that training, let's just move on. Focus your self-reflection on engaging with people's subconscious mind, with people's emotional intelligence. Don't just give them the tools to do it, explain the why. Give them the time and the space to think. And I don't just mean put sleep pods in every workplace. Really help them to understand where their decision-making process comes from. How they choose a response to the situation that they are in. By doing that, you enable the subconscious mind of everybody in your organisation. When they're then in a situation, their subconscious mind kicks in and enables them to approach it differently. Enables them to make a change in their behaviour, their mindset, and achieve the solution that they really want to achieve. It's a very, very unique employer that gives their people the time and space to think. Storytelling is also a fantastic way to really engage with self-reflection. Because storytelling is a very introspective way for people to learn. The person telling the story naturally has that introspective. The people hearing the story, we remember it because we like stories. It sticks in our subconscious mind. So again, just from hearing other people's stories, our subconscious mind kicks in at the time when we need it. Look at engaging with people in your business to tell their story at learning events, through blogs. Get them to look at what was my greatest challenge? What's the behavioral change that I've taken to make me successful? Really, really encourage people in your organization to share their story. Speaking of stories, I'm going to introduce you to a mallard, a self-coaching mallard, no less. Our mallard comes into play because I want to tell you a story about a hero of mine. This is a true story. The hero of our story is a manager in an organisation. They've been in that organisation for some time, shall we say, where a technical expert was then promoted to manage the team within their technical expertise. So, of course, what happened is they thought, well, I should give all the answers. I'm the manager. I should know everything. So he would tell his team exactly what to do, how to do it, when to do it. And more often than not, he'd end up being busier than anybody else. Because, of course, it's quicker if he does it for himself, of course. Of course it is, isn't it? Yeah. So, cue and interaction. And the hero of our story engages with coaching skills development. And this is literally the light bulb moment for our hero. Wow, this is how I get to be a strategic leader. This is how I get my team to take accountability. This is what I want. This is the culture that I want for my team, for the organisation, for the people that I lead. So he returned from said coaching development and did everything right. From a formal point of view, he told his team, this is what I've learned. This is how we're going to apply it. We're going to start to have coaching conversations. And he did. Applied the coaching skills. And the conversations got better. However, what he found was that his team was still coming to him with questions 
about what they are responsible for, what they have permission to resolve for themselves. He tried responding with, what do you think you should do? And because of the culture that was in that team, that was still met with, I don't know, I want you to tell me what to do. So he bought a duck. It was a stuffed duck like my mate here. No, no mallards were hurting the telling of this story. Because he thought, right, okay, my formal approach is not quite getting the change that I want. So how can I be creative? How can I create this informal coaching culture where people take accountability, where they get the answers for themselves? So he introduced his team to the duck and he said, this is the duck of destiny. Every time you think of coming to ask me a question about what you're responsible for and what you have the responsibility to make a decision on, I want you to ask the duck. And he put his mallard in the middle of the office. Now, of course, he was talking to human beings, so you don't naturally go up and go, all right, duck, can I ask you a question? They thought he was off his head, probably. However, he was really, really resolved to taking this approach. So when his team started to come and ask him a question, his response was, what did the duck say? <laughs> Have you asked the duck? People were like, what the, what? <laughs> and he would take them to the duck and he would say, ask the duck. So of course they kind of go like, <laughs> I don't know. Ask the duck out loud. Say your question out loud. And they would. And of course they realized that they already had the answers. They were already able to self-coach because they had the expertise, they had the ability. So he created a very, very informal way of enabling his team to really apply self-coaching. Because of course, as we know from coaching, the answers are already in our heads. We just need a time and space to make them emerge. Think about, I mean, he, he, he bought a stuffed duck. He didn't have a digital self-coaching platform. He didn't have a coaching community. So just think about how you can be creative, how you can really engage with your leaders to create that informal culture where people can self-coach. So to wrap up, create the culture for feedback by asking your people what they want feedback on and how they want that feedback to be delivered. Create your desired by culture by enabling the people within it to create it for themselves. Promote and create the opportunity to practice self-reflection to develop the emotional intelligence in your organization that ignites the subconscious mind. And really look at the coaching solutions and how you can create opportunities for people to combine their formal and informal coaching development to create that true, definitive coaching culture. And if all else fails, buy them a duck. <laughs> Thank you, Manchester. I've been Tim Roberts.